Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this Thursday Facebook Live uh, discussion and Q&A brought to you by Vetorical Teleneurology. Um, it's a beautiful day here in uh, the south of England, and I'm delighted to see that uh, my colleague Simon is wearing his old man cardigan. Um, he told me that it's actually quite cold in Georgia. Uh, so for once, we have a better weather than him. I hope you are all managing okay. I know it's been a difficult you know, time. Uh, I know also you are doing your best to provide all this care you know, to our animal and that this um, Facebook discussion that we've started running provide you with some good tip um, to help you, you know, with your clinical practice. That's the main aim. And also to provide you a little bit of entertainment, especially considering that what is on TV this day is quite poor uh, with the lack of new program. Um, I know some of you have been doing also a fantastic job providing equipment to um, hospital, um, which is amazing when you see the veterinary profession helping the, the human uh, field, which is um, you know, an amazing thing that you know, a lot of you are doing this day. Um, we had an amazing response to our Facebook Live. Um, this is the third one. Um, there is a, approximately 300 of you every Thursday joining us live. We had more than seven to 8,000 watching um, uh, after that. Uh, so thanks a lot again for all your support. The format will, if you're new to this um, uh, Facebook Live, is very simple. Um, every week, Simon and I, we have a guest and we ask a number of questions to our guest. We have a, a specific area of expertise. Um, and then we open the floor to question. And you are very welcome during the presentation to type in the comment box some question, which we'll then uh, put to our guest. This leads me to introduce our fantastic guest tonight. Um, she is Spanish. Um, I call her the queen of neuroimaging, um, Ines Carrera. She is also the latest recruit to our new company, Vetorical Teleneurology. Um, when we created this concept of uh, Vetorical Teleneurology, our aim was, before all, to create a team of the best people in the field of neurology and imaging to provide you with the best report and the report that will be practical and relevant to the clinic. I had to invite Simon because he was obviously a, an old friend of mine. Um, but that apart, you know, we wanted to have really the, the, the best of the two worlds and to show that the two worlds can work together um, to provide you this quality, you know, service. Um, Ines is Spanish, as I say. She's uh, done a residency in Glasgow. She travelled all over the world to um, enhance all her uh, knowledge about uh, imaging, but she has a, a particular interest at neuroimaging. And to me, she's one of the few people in the world that really stand out in terms of uh, being there in knowledge of neuroimaging. She's done a PhD on MRI spectroscopy. Um, she has done extensive research. Um, she really, you know, knows stuff with regard to neuroimaging. And um, we couldn't have a better person tonight to talk to you about neuroimaging. So that leaves me to leave the, the spot to Simon to ask Ines a number of questions that we selected, you know, for you. And then feel free during this presentation to put you know, your question in the comment box, and I will, um, at the end, take over to put this question 
to Ines. Simon, over to you. All right, thank you very much. Um, and um, welcome, Ines. Thank you for, for joining us. Firstly, may I say um, to Laurent, thank you. You've left us with 30 seconds of this after your introduction. And you're not fooling anyone by having a spotlight on your face, pretending it's the sun in England. <laughs> trying to, trying to mock me for wearing my granddad's um, cardigan is a low blow. When you're isolated, you get to wear clothes you haven't worn for a long time. Just try them out, a new look, you know. So the, 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 these, are, these are trying times for everybody. And uh, as Laurent said, um, we hope to uh, make them a little bit better for everyone watching. And Ines, as, as Laurent has introduced, is our guest today, and we're very honored to have her here, help us uh, answer some questions. Um, and the focus today is using MRI imaging to help us differentiate and understand a little bit more um, two very common conditions that we see in the dog. So firing away with question number one, Ines, are you ready? Yes. Um, that is. <laughs> um, what do you uh, understand um, and how can you explain to our uh, viewers today the, the difference between the acute nucleus pulposus extrusion, the non-compressive version, and fibrocartilaginous emboli? Okay, so these are two conditions that are quite similar clinically because they they start as a peracute onset of neurological dysfunction, but they have a quite different uh, well, and they are normally not progressive over 24 to 48 hours. Uh, so uh, clinically, they may seem quite similar, as I say, but they are. Uh, completely different processes. So acute non-compressive um, disc extrusion is an extrusion of a hydrated disc. And, and this is due to um, a sudden increase of discal pressure because of vigorous exercise or a trauma. And this, this explosion of the disc causes a con contusion of the spinal cord, uh, which causes the myelopathy. And the, and the the consequent uh, clinical signs, and then the the disc material dissipates within the epidural space and causes non to minimal uh, um, spinal cord compression. And on the other hand, FCE is a vascular disease. Uh, this is caused by an emboli. Uh, that is uh, fibrocartilage material that is quite identical to nucleus pulposus. And, and what it causes is being a vascular disease is ischemia of the spinal cord. Um, and there are four different hypotheses of how this disc material gets to the spinal cord vessels, which can be either arteries or veins. Uh, and actually nobody knows. It can be just direct penetration or some people think that is a cause of um, chronic inflammation and neovascularization or demands of uh, vessels that are formed since the dog is a puppy. So, well, these are hypotheses, but nobody knows how exactly this material gets there. But this is what is, is normally found in histopathology. Uh, that um, uh, if we can see the next slide, um, on the um, in histopathology, 
um, these two diseases are also very different. And what is found in acute uh, non-compressive um, disc extrusion uh, is a gelatinous material within the epidural space and some hemorrhage as well sometimes. And uh, the contusion that is caused by the, the explosive disc material causes a malaysia of the both the white and gray matter. Uh, and surrounding this area of Malaysia, there is the generated white matter uh, with diffuse microgliosis, which means that all this lesion is going to be very ill-defined in the spinal cord. And uh, so this is important to understand uh, when we are looking at imaging. And on the in FCE, what is uh, found in histopathology is uh, no um, extradural material at all. And uh, they find this fibrocartilage material that is DIX um, uh, nucleus pulposus within the uh, uh, spinal vessels. And because it's, um, um, the spinal vessels are functional, um, arteries, veins, uh, causing this um, ischemia, it's normally affecting more the gray matter than the white matter because they require more oxygen. So it's always, both are affected, but normally it's gray matter way much more affected than gray matter. And because it's a territorial area, the, the lesions are very well defined. Uh, it's very rare to find a hemorrhage uh, within the spinal cord. Like, uh, in, in, in fact, in the brain, uh, it can be some hemorrhagic transformation because of rupture of vessels. This is less common in the spine. While on the uh, acute non-compressive uh, disc extrusion, it's quite common actually to see hemorrhage, intramedullary hemorrhage, apart from the extradural hemorrhage that I said before. Great. Well, uh, that is a great introduction for us. Uh, gets us going. So we've got two acute conditions of the spinal cord. Um, and from from our point of view, it can be difficult to clinically distinguish. They can sometimes look pretty similar. Um, one you've talked about as an extradural problem, one is a parenchymal problem. Both may create a situation of an acute neurologic dysfunction where they're not really painful on examination. Can you can you use MRI to distinguish between these con conditions and, and how reliable is this? Yeah, actually, yes, we need to look carefully. And it's uh, actually the diagnosis that is normally presumptive uh, is based on MRI because CT and radiographs of CT and CT myelography are going to be quite unspecific. So we do need MRI to, to confirm the clinical suspicion. And to distinguish between them um, is if we keep in, in mind what uh, the pathophysiology of each uh, disease, uh, acute uh, non-compressive disc extrusion and FCE, we do see the differences in, in MRI. And uh, starting with the acute non-compressive disc extrusion, um, what we find in MRI uh, is an extradural material, uh, which is a very mild amount, minimal, uh, not causing a spinal cord compression, but we are going to see an irregularity in the um, in the epidural space. 
uh, and perhaps some obliteration of the superannuated space as well. Um, we always find an ill-defined intramedullarization that is always at the level of the Dix space. It's always centered at the level of the Dix space. And it makes sense because it's a concussion and an explosion of the Dix. Uh, and then it may extend cranially or caudally from that level, but normally it's rather focal and doesn't extend as a general rule more than one vertebral body. Um, the signal intensity is normally hyperintensity too. It's variable in T1 depending if the lesion has hemorrhage or not, or if it's hemorrhagic. And if it's hemorrhagic, we pick it up very nicely on gradient echo sequences in T2 star, uh, where we are going to find uh, areas of signal void. And the, uh, the lesions, the intramedullary lesions, they are going to be ill-defined, as I say, and they are going to affect gray and white matter uh, in quite similar way, uh, or, or, or the green. And if, if, we, if we use uh, contrast, we may see epidural and meningeal enhancement. So now I will show you all these in images. So in, in the first image, uh, we have a T2 sagittal of an adult dog uh, with um, a peracute uh, neurological size of uh, paraplegia. And <clears throat> what we see here um, is the, um, first of all, if we look at the intervertebral disc, um, it's a bit difficult or challenging to uh, relay on the signal intensity and the shape of the disc when there are many others that are degenerated. So if we compare the intervertebral disc between um, T13 and L1, uh, if we compare it with L L1, L2, uh, it's uh, uh, that one is degenerated, so there is no comparison. Uh, if we compare that with the cranial one, uh, we may see that the, the one at T13L1 is uh, a bit smaller. And if we look carefully, we may see a, a cleft on the, on the dorsal aspect. Um, but well, it's, it's Again, it's a bit difficult just to judge uh, very much the, the, intervertebra the, the intervertebral disc. So the red arrow is pointing an intramedullary lesion that, as you see, is centered in the intervertebral disc space. And the yellow arrows are pointing that the superanoid space dorsally is uh, a bit obliterated, indicating that there is a spinal cord swelling. If we now look at the transverse view, um, the green line now on the sagittal view uh, is where the transverse view are um, the, the ones that we are showing. So we have a T2 uh, transverse and a 3D high resolution. This is a, um, a steady state gradient echo. Uh, is based in T2 and is high resolution because it's um, one millimeter slides, very thin slices without gaps in them. So we are able to assess the whole anatomy very nicely. So in this one, uh, it's very useful to have these sequences because we can assess the whole epidural space very nicely. 
And what we are seeing in these images, the red arrows are uh, pointing uh, the epidural space that is very irregular. It's a slightly high point intense, and we see that better on the high resolution. And the supranoid space is also obliterated, but uh, you can appreciate that there is no uh, significant spinal cord compression. There is no an extradural lesion that requires surgery. Uh, on the next slide, uh, is just a slightly cranial to that, uh, just a little tiny bit, and we appreciate this, uh, the same, even better on the 3D uh, high resolution, that we see that the epidural space is uh, slightly irregular and it's got a hypo-intense material that is not compressing the spinal cord much. And on the next slide, that is slightly cranial to that, um, on the T2 transverse, the yellow arrows indicate the hyperintense uh, intramedullary lesion. And notice that both the gray and white matter, they are affected. And the signal intensity that we see with, uh, between them is very similar. So we don't differentiate gray and white matter because both have similar signal intensity. And on the 3D high resolution, we are still seeing how the epidural space is irregular and hypo-intense when compared to the other side. And on the T2 star, the gradient echo, uh, the orange arrow points a very small uh, region of signal void that indicates a small uh, focus of hemorrhage. So this is the typical uh, appearance of um, a non-acute, uh, uh, non-compressive tick extrusion. And I have another example uh, in the next slide that we start again with a, um, a sagittal. And again, the, the red arrow points the intervertebral disc that again, the one caudal to it is degenerated and the one cranial to it is not degenerated. So it's very difficult to compare uh, between them and see if this one is normal or not. But as, as a general rule, again, uh, because this is, as I said at the very beginning, um, the, um, uh, the extrusion, the extruded material normally is hydrated. It's not degenerated like in the typical type one uh, Hassan type. Um, so in this one, we also see uh, the yellow arrow uh, indicates uh, the um, um, medullary lesion that is just at the level of the disc space. And if we see in the next slide, the transverses. Um, yeah. We can see that there is a really mild extradural lesion ventrally uh, pointed by the red arrow. Uh, but it's not compressing the spinal cord. Again, we don't need uh, surgery in this case. And we have a quite linear um, intramedullary lesion that is hyper-intense in T2 and is uh, hypo-intense with signal void in T2 star. Uh, this can be the tract of the contusion because it could be quite sharp. And another possibility is that part of the disc material is actually inside the spinal cord. That is, this could also happen in this, this kind of uh, uh, disc extrusions. And um, this next slide is, is to, to show that normally 
in these cases we don't use contrast if we use that is it's quite beneficial uh, because we can appreciate that the um, epidural space and the meninges are quite inflamed um, and this this helps us to differentiate maybe from other diseases uh, because if we have for example menin uh, meningitis only we shouldn't expect anything within the epidural space any enhancement particular enhancement within the epidural space i took these images from uh, from the paper that i we see here and they use a fat sat a, a t1 post contrast I think this is extremely important because the epidural space is hyperintense in T1 and in T2. Uh, but if we are using a T1 post contrast, if we are assessing the epidural space and the epidural space is hyperintense, we are not going to see any contrast enhancement. So it's very important if we are if we want to look for this, so we take this into account to always use fat sat T1. And we also need to take into account that these uh, kind of sequences, uh, FATSAT T1, uh, we can only use them in uh, magnets that are above one Tesla. Uh, they, they don't work in low field MRI. So if we continue with MRI findings in FCE, uh, they are different than in uh, uh, what we have seen now in um, acute non-compressive tick situation because we are not going to find an extradural lesion. Uh, and if we find an extradural lesion, maybe it's a chronic protrusion, but it's not going to be an ill-defined um, lesion within the epidural space as we just have seen now. Um, the intramedullary lesions are also quite different because normally they are sharply demarcated and they may affect the gray and white matter, but the gray matter is more affected than the gray the white matter. Uh, and, and this is because it's a vascular disease. Uh, gray matter has more demands in oxygen, and this is what we are going to see on the MRI, uh, more hyperintensity in the uh, gray matter compared with the white matter. Uh, it can be quite focal, uh, but also it can be normally, is, or, or most of the cases is quite extensive, and it can affect more one or two or three uh, lengths of a vertebral body, but also it can be normal. And, and it can be normal overall if we are scanning the dogs too early, uh, maybe within the 24 hours, it's possible that it's normal. So we need to take this into consideration. And if the clinical signs fit with an FCE, and we definitely rule out a non-acute discount, uh, uh, um, non-compressive disc extrusion, or maybe what we can do is to do a follow-up MRI in one or two days, depending, or just make the assumption that we have an FCE that at, the, at that moment we don't see. Um, well, I, as I said before, it's very rare to find hemorrhage on FCs, and if we give contrast, we are never going to see a contrast, a meningeal enhancement or epidural enhancement. Normally, we don't see any contrast enhancement, but if we do, it's going to affect 
normally the gray matter. So we have some examples of it. And the first one is uh, a quite focal uh, FC. And um, if you, now we'll look at the um, sagittal view only. We can see that this intramedullary lesion, it's just cranial, is above the vertebral body, is cranial to the disc uh, space. So this is already different uh, from the acute non-compressive disc striation. Um, and on the transverse views, we can appreciate very nicely that there is no an extradural lesion. Uh, actually, the spinal cord is a bit swollen, uh, the supranoid space is a bit thin. And <clears throat> we can see a very lateralized lesion, and it's mainly the gray matter that is affected, uh, surrounded by a little bit of hyperintensity in the white matter. And on the T1, it's iso intense. We don't see any change. And this is this is a, an example of a very focal FC. And on the next one, uh, we see a quite different one. is way much more extensive. Uh, this one is, is extending over more than three vertebral uh, body length. And on the um, transverse view, it's quite beautiful to see a really sharp uh, uh, demarcated um, intramedullary lesion. And you see that both the gray and white matter are affected, but the gray matter is way much more hyper intense than the white matter. And we can differentiate them very nicely between them. We can see the butterfly of the gray matter. Uh, so this is as well very different from what we saw on the uh, non-compressive text extrusion. And uh, as, as I said before, if we give contrast, uh, most of the cases we don't see any contrast enhancement, but when we do, and this is the next slide, um, uh, we may see some uh, intramedullary uh, enhancement and, and it's going to affect mainly the, the gray matter. Someone is asleep, I'm afraid. No, I, I'm, I'm just I'm, oh, no. I'm fascinated taking it all in. I don't want to interrupt you. Um, if I wanted someone to look pretty, I would feel someone else. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's flattering, Lauren. That's flattering. But um, I, I didn't want to inter interrupt, and um, especially didn't think you would interrupt as you swing your non alcoholic beer again. Uh, typical, <laughs> typical French. Okay, um, but thank you. Thank you for. Thank you for prompting me. Thank you for prompting me. Um, um, Ines, thank you very much for that uh, um, <laughs> summary. Now, in this time of tremendous isolation, people are getting very lonely. And in Laurent's case, he now has approximately 16 cats that he's living with. And so <laughs> one big question that, that he has is, how do the MRI findings um, in cats differ, if at all, to those those in dogs? Mm -hmm. So both in the FCE and acute and non-compressive disc extrusion, uh, the causes and the clinical signs and the imaging findings are pretty much the same as in dogs, but they are quite unusual. Uh, but there is one specific condition that uh, happens in cats, uh, that is the ischemic myelopathy uh, due to high, high aligned um, degeneration. And uh, there are two very nice papers uh, explaining this. Uh, 
uh, and uh, is very different in in many aspects. Uh, first, the clinical signs are. I didn't say before that in the FCE, um, um, the clinical signs are um, quite often um, um, uni um, lateralized because the infras tend to be uh, tend to affect more one side than being bilateral. Um, and the dogs and cats with FCE, they don't have other clinical conditions. And the uh, age, the range age is from puppies to very old dogs. Uh, but in feline ischemic myelopathy, um, affects all cats. Uh, and they, most of them, at least in these studies, they all have a systemic condition. They have hypertension, chronic renal disease, um, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, <clears throat> and there is a predisposition uh, of um, the for the myelopathy to happen, or for this disease to happen at the level of C2. Uh, and this is because at this level, the vertebral, uh, the spinal artery is narrower. And the cause of this is not an emboli, it's because there is a de uh, higher line degener uh, degeneration uh, and arteriopathy. And it happens in many arteries, uh, but this one is especially predisposed because it's really thin. <clears throat> um, another thing that is very different uh, and is quite curious is that the clinical signs are. Uh, because the predisposition is on the in the cervical area, so normally they are uh, tetra uh, or tetraplegic, and they also have ben, uh, uh, neck ventriflexion, uh, which is non normally not seen in FCE. And the clinical signs can recur, uh, can occur again uh, quite often. What we see on the MRI uh, is. Uh, normally, um, uh, quite, uh, I think is the next slide, yes, thank you. Uh, are lesions at the level of C2? Uh, again, it can happen anywhere else, but it's really common to see lesions at that level. And, and because at that level, the spinal artery is, um, is, is just a single one. And is irrigating uh, the um, both sides of the of the gray matter. It's very common as well to see bilateral uh, and symmetric lesions, and as uh, and because they are infartations again, they are very well defined, and they affect more gray matter than white matter. And and in this case, we also have contrast and we can see a very mild contrast enhancement that is affecting the gray matter the ventral horns of the gray matter great well, you don't need to prompt me again Laurent. i'm right on i'm right on the ball right now i'm, right on the ball. I'm feeling pressure from you as well, well you at, at your time it's two o'clock in the u.s so you're not asleep no, 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 I'm not. I'm taking all this great information in and, and I didn't want to interrupt Ines, unlike you, classically, Ines is very rude on these things, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> um, I, I, well, so, so Laurent's very happy now to hear about cats, that's him satisfied. Um, a lot of people, though, want to know, can MRI uh, be used as some sort of prognostic indicator for, for these cases? Uh, yes, there is a, there is a study um, showing that uh, in FCE, 
the, they, they measure the ratios between the intramedullary lesion with a vertebral length on the sagittal views. And when the, the ratio is more than two uh, vertebral lengths, then the prognostics is quite uh, poor. And also from the transverse views, when uh, the intramedullary lesion is more than 67% uh, of the cross-sectional area, the prognosis is quite uh, bad. And also clinically, uh, the absence of nociception is a bad prognosis. And on the uh, um, acute non-compressive texas triosion uh, is a bit different. Uh, the prognostic factor and uh, the, the, the worst prognosis is when there is evidence of hemorrhage, uh, intramedullary hemorrhage. Uh, and we see that when there are lesions that are hypointense already in T2, because if it's just Malaysia, uh, it should be hyperintense in T1, in T2, as we say, uh, as we saw before on the other examples. But if we see, like in this case, a huge area of hypointensity already in T2, uh, even if we don't have a, a T2 star, this is this is an evidence of, of hemorrhage, and we confirm that with a gradient echo. So intramedullary hemorrhage is a bad prognosis. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, Laurent, Laurent has obviously got somewhere to be. Um, I'm, I don't, I'm hesitant to rush you um, but, um, and to hand back over to him, uh, actually. But I am going to, and thank you very much, Ines, um, for this portion. And Laurent's got some questions, no doubt, from the, the general audience. Thank you, Simon, for your uh, amazing uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, skill. Um, I've got some great questions. Uh, the first one. Um, in the brain, we use uh, diffusion-weighted ADC to look for restricted diffusion to document ischemia. Um, can we do the same with spinal cord? Yeah, there are some uh, experimental studies uh, using that, and definitely it's great. It's the way of confirming um, the restricted lesion uh, and, and confirming an infartation, uh, but it's very challenging to do that on the spine uh, because there are a lot of artifacts because of the vertebras. So it's, it's already sometimes difficult to do that on the brain of a small dog or a cat. And in the spine, it's, it's not that easy to get a good image of diffusion, yeah. So it's more a technical issue than, in principle, it would be great, but the technicality may be an issue. That's the, yeah, that's the, the main thing. Yeah. Um, there's another question. How can I differentiate, I presume, yeah, either of the two from an intramedullary disc extrusion? Um, because of the signal intensity. Um, uh, if, it's a, um, if it's a hydrated disc extrusion, uh, it should be hyper intense in T2 and also hyper intense in gradient echo in the uh -huh. T2 star. If, while if there is a hemorrhage, it should be hyper, it should be maybe variable in the T2 star, but it, it's gonna be with signal void in T2 star, in gradient echo. So it's when we differentiate that. Okay. Um, let me see what else there is. I think it's more a matter of terminology, I may help you with that. Could you differentiate this disease type three 
with acute hydrated nucleus pulposus aquisium is non-compressive. What is the difference in stair sequence? I may help you with the type three unless you want to answer that, uh, Ine. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You want me to say? Um, a, a type three is a misnomer. Um, when the type of degeneration, type one and type two, were initially described, um, this refers to a type of de degeneration that then lead to a disc herniation, namely extrusion for type one and protrusion for type two. So the word type three should not be used because um, it was used in the past to describe this acute non-compressive um, uh, disc extrusion. Uh, but you have to remember, as Ines explained at the beginning, there is no predisposing disc degeneration prior to that. So using the word type three in theory, we know we all know what it means, but it doesn't describe a type of degeneration that lead to an herniation. So it is actually the same thing. But regarding the stair sequence, I don't know um, if you wanted to comment or T to star. Uh, yeah. is what you described already, no? Yeah, the star sequence, so it's a fat suppression sequence, and um, it's not gonna help a lot uh, uh, assessing any intramedullary lesion uh, because there is no fat on it, so there is nothing to suppress. Uh, it may help to assess the paravertebral muscles because sometimes we have some hyperintensities because of the trauma. Uh, that is easier to see on the star sequence. So I will use it to assess, to look better at the paravertebral muscles. Mm -hmm. We're going to do a couple more questions before we, we close. Um, in acute non-compressive um, disc extrusion, is the intervertebral disc material degenerated? Don't know if we can know for, it for sure. In general, what is described is uh, that the, the disc material is, is hydrated. And this is what you explain now. Uh, that, and that's why we cannot call it type 3. So it's, it's normally hydrated. Yeah. Um, one that probably would be important to clarify, um, and you know, I may answer that for you. Uh, what do you think about surgery for this acute non-compressive? We want to stress that this is not a surgical disease. So the onset will be acute. Um, main differential will be fibrocartilaginous embolism. It will be compressive disc extrusion. Um, but the, the cause of the neurological sign are the contusion. And even if there is a little bit of epidural material, this is you know, not enough to explain the neurological sign. And therefore, surgery is not indicated you know, in any of these cases. So I think it's important you know, to stress let me see if we can find the, the last question for you. Um, I mean, does the location of the lesion in the spinal cord help you to differentiate between the two? Uh, yes. Uh, when so the um, if the lesion is not centered in the intervertebral disc space, it can also it can help us already because uh, non-acute uh, acute non-compressive disc extrusion is always centered at the intervertebral disc space, and also um, uh, regarding the region of the vertebral column, um, FCEs can happen in any area of the spinal cord, uh, while non-acute disc uh, acute uh, non-compressive disc extrusions normally are in the thoracolumbar area. Uh, it's very rare to see that on the cervical region. 
Thank you very much, Ines, for this great presentation. Um, before we finish, I just want to put on the screen, um, you know, what we've got in um, plan for you for the next few weeks. Let me just put that. And in the meantime, I invite you just, you know, to give a, a virtual applause to Ines for, you know, this great presentation, you know, today. And thank you very much to everybody for being here. <laughs> but let me put uh, that. So I apologize, I didn't have time to make a new slide. Obviously, Ines to, today talk about um, FC versus acute hydrated nucleus pulposus extrusion. Um, next week, we've got a very old friend of mine, uh, Chris Falzon, that uh, for those of you that like surgery, will discuss how does he manage disc-associated wobbler. Um, in a couple of weeks, we've got Claire Rusbridge, which will do a session with us. How do I manage carry uh, malformation and syringomyelia, giving a lot of tip on, you know, what is the basis of, you know, the medical management and when do we consider surgery. Um, but leave me to thank you everyone for your continuous support with um, this session. I hope they are useful to you. Thank you to Simon and thank you to Ines again for this great presentation. Have a good evening, everyone. Thank yeah, you. thanks, Ines. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.